Welcome to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. Please open your hearts to hear an anointed message that will encourage and empower you to walk in the love and light of God's Word. Beloved, we are in part four of God's prophetic timeline, His calendar of last day's events. And today we are picking up with the Feast of First Fruits. In our previous messages, we learned that, in perfect prophetic calendar precision, the Passover, which was the first feast that God had ordained as a perpetual ordinance for the children of Israel to observe, took place on the fourteenth day of the month of Nisan, when the Lamb was to be slaughtered. Yeshua HaMashiach, Lord Jesus the Messiah, fulfilled this sacred requirement in 30 A.D., when on the fourteenth day of Nisan, he was crucified and died for the sins of the world. Hell and death would now forever pass over those who would put their full trust in the Son of God, who became our substitute by taking sin's punishment of death we deserved upon himself. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one records that, at the moment our Savior said, It is finished, and died. The curtain that hung before the Holy of Holies was rent in two, granting forever access to the Father through the blood of Jesus. The next feast to be celebrated was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is symbolic of Jesus Christ, the Bread of Life, and the spotless Lamb of God, who was without sin or blemish, and therefore a perfect and holy offering. It was observed on the day following Passover. Then came the Feast of First Fruits, which we're picking up with today. This feast was reserved for after the children of Israel entered the promised land of Canaan. And therefore, it was not observed during the wilderness wanderings. The offering was a sheaf reaped from the waving field of a ripened harvest and carried to the priest to be waved before the Lord for acceptance. It was to be followed by a burnt meat and drink offering, but no sin offering. The burnt offering was to be a male lamb without blemish of the first year, again in type and symbol of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was perfect and without sin, and who was sacrificed for the sins of the world. Romans 6.10 proclaims that, The death he died, he died to sin once for all time therefore satisfying the need for a sin offering to be offered year after year. The Feast of Firstfruits primarily stands as a type and foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty to 23 it is written, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. When the priest waved the sheaf of the firstfruits in the temple, it was before a rent veil, and was but an empty form, for the substance had come, and the shadow had passed away. The empty tomb of Joseph of Arimathea proclaimed that the great first-fruit sheaf 
had been reaped and waved in the heavenly temple. The next feast on God's prophetic calendar was the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost was observed. The number 50 in the Bible represents freedom, release, and a new cycle. It carries with it the meaning of jubilee and rest. The space between the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Pentecost included seven Sabbaths and was called the Feast of Weeks. It began with the offering of the first fruits of the barley harvest and ended with the ingathering of the wheat harvest. The first day was the Feast of the First Fruits. The last day was the Feast of Pentecost. Only the first and last day were celebrated. At the Feast of Pentecost, a new meat offering was to be offered before the Lord. It was called new because it had to be of grain from the new harvest. At the Feast of First Fruits, stalks of grain were to be offered and waved. But at the Feast of Pentecost, the grain was to be ground and made into flour, from which two loaves were to be baked with leaven. The two loaves represent the glorious reality that not only would Israel be saved, but the Gentiles who put their trust in the Messiah of God would be granted His grace and mercy as well, bringing about the one new man in Him. The leaven was an encoded message that revealed a day to come, which was manifested on Pentecost in New Testament fulfillment when those who were formerly unclean would now be cleansed and made holy by the blood of the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. There was then an interval between the Feast of Pentecost and the next feast on God's prophetic calendar, which is the Feast of Trumpets. There was no convocation of the people during those busy months. This long interval typifies the present dispensation of God's grace, in which the Holy Spirit is numbering the elect of His Church, and during which Israel is scattered among the nations. When the present dispensation of grace has run its course, God will then remove His holy remnant of true believers from the earth, and the tribulation period will begin with the Jewish people back in their land. Many prophecy teachers see a very strong connection between the rapture and the Feast of Trumpets. To put some credibility to that prophetic possibility, we learn that, during the wilderness wandering, two silver trumpets made of the atonement money of the people were blown for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps, as recorded in Numbers 10, 1-10. Again, in sacred symbolism, Jesus, whose precious blood was offered up for our atonement, was betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. And the fact that the Feast of Trumpets comes immediately at the close of the interval between the two series of set feasts is also not without significance. As we have seen, the interval represents the dispensation of God's grace. And we know that two things are to happen at the close of this dispensation. First, the church is to be caught out. And secondly, Israel is to be gathered back into their own land, where they will endure the time of Jacob's trouble during the tribulation period. 
First Thessalonians 4.16 tells us that when the church is caught up, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And then, in 1 Corinthians 15.51-52, Paul also wrote that, We shall not all sleep, but we who are then alive shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In a previous message, I went into detail regarding the scriptural evidence pointing to the strong possibility that the rapture could happen on a feast of trumpets as well as explaining the difference between the last trump of the rapture and the last trumpet which is addressed in the book of Revelation. And therefore I will not go into that detail again here today. But let it suffice to say that, whether or not the catching up of true believers happens on a feast of trumpets or not, the fact remains that it could happen at any moment the Lord decides. And while we do not know exactly when it will happen, Scripture confirms that we will know the season. And we can be sure by all the other scriptural and prophetic indicators that are right now unfolding before us, that everything is already in place for the rapture to happen, and very soon. So it is imperative that we stay in a position of imminent readiness and sacred anticipation at all times. The second of the fall feast is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We read about this feast in Leviticus 16, 1-34 and 23:27. This is the day that the high priest would carry the blood of the bull and goat through the veil and into the most holy place in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. The high priest of the Israelites would then pour the blood on the altar over the Ark of the Covenant and in doing so, make atonement for the children of Israel. The book of Hebrews, chapters 9 and 10, tells us that the blood of the bulls and goats, which had to be offered up to the Lord in the ancient temple repeatedly, was a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus the Messiah. Through the death and shed blood of the Lamb of God, who died once for all, we are now forgiven forever. For us, Yom Kippur is a time of thanking and worshiping Yeshua for his sacrifice of blood being shed for us, for the forgiveness of all our sins. There is also a prophetic aspect of this feast that is yet to be fulfilled, which is the turning of the Jewish people to Messiah Yeshua. When he returns, he will lift the veil from their eyes. The book of Revelation foretells this glorious event. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. The New Testament foretells of the same event in Romans 11.26, which states that, At Messiah's return, all Israel will be saved. The last feast on God's prophetic calendar is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a harvest home celebration to be observed at the end of the harvest and was to continue for seven days. 
During the feast, the people were to dwell in booths or arbors made of the branches of palm trees and willows from the brook, which would remind them of the palm trees of Elam and the willows of Babylon. The Feast of Tabernacles points forward to Israel's millennial rest. What the seventh day or Sabbath is to the week, a day of rest. So the seventh month to the other six months of the seven-month cycle also typifies a period of rest, the sabbatical rest of the millennial age, or 1,000 years in relation to the other 6,000 years of the world's workday history. Like the Lord's Supper is to us a memorial pointing back to the cross and forward to his second coming. So the Feast of Tabernacles will be a memorial to Israel, pointing back to Egypt and forward to their millennial rest. The Feast of Tabernacles also points to the glorious forever that lies beyond the millennial reign of Christ on earth. In perfect symbolism, it began on the Sabbath and continued seven days, after which it was to be followed by a Sabbath. This Sabbath on the eighth day points to the new heavens and new earth. For while seven in Scripture means completeness and perfection, eight means new beginnings. In Second Peter 3.10, the apostle wrote that, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. But verse 13 grants the children of God a glimpse of the glorious future that awaits us. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell forever. And this is where we must pause for today, beloved. In our next podcast, we will embark upon the prophecy of the week of millenniums, which should be a very intriguing study, especially as it pertains to God's prophetic calendar and the soon rapture of his blood-bought offspring. Until then, and as always, I bid you his agape. You've been listening to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. If you have a prayer request, please contact us at Agape Light Ministries, P.O. Box 6313, Chesterfield, Missouri, 63006, or via our website at www dot agape light ministries dot com again that's www dot agape light ministries dot com